Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play 210. This is the Drakengard and Near special.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. You will notice that I am not Leon Cox, nor am I Ryan Heyman. Instead, I am Leah Haydu. Hi. This is a special Sound of Play. We will be going over the music of the Drakengard and the Nier series uh, and how they connect. And joining me in Sound of Play 210 is Thomas Quilfeld. Hey, Leah. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's uh, It's been a long couple of weeks, but I've been looking forward to this uh, this recording so uh, I'm, I'm glad we are uh, we're getting to do this the track that we started off with was from Drakengard 1. The uh, games that we will be covering in this uh, in this sound of play are going to be the Drakengard series, as I mentioned, Drakengard 1, 2, and 3, and then Nier and Nier Automata. Uh, so we're going to be going in kind of the order of release as we, as we go through and talking a little bit about the games themselves, as well as uh, the development, the music, and uh, our histories with it. Uh, so track one was uh, called Exhausted by Nobuyushi Sano and... And as I said, was from Drakengard 1, uh, which was developed by Kavya and published by Square Enix in 2004 for the PS2. Uh, so it's wow, that's that's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> the first track, uh, Exhausted, uh, is one that you really do hear echoes of throughout basically the rest of the series. You will hear a lot of the tracks um, that, that we're going to actually have in our uh, in our selection today do have very similar sections to them. You can very much tell that these are from the same series. These are from uh, the, the same universe, even. Uh, I, I think that even if you didn't realize, I didn't realize for a very long time that Drakengard and Nier were really the same series and connected to each other. But the music is just so similar in so many places. Those themes just keep coming back. So sad lady vocals. Yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is very much a common theme. To issue a spoiler warning, we are not going to go too deeply into the plots of these games, but I think that especially with some of the later titles, it's going to be unavoidable that some of it might actually get a little bit spoiled. So if you haven't played uh, in particular Nier and Nier Automata and, and you are worried about spoilers, then I would recommend, well, I'd recommend anyway that you play these games because I enjoy them both very much. Uh, and you can also listen to the Kaden Rince main podcast issues on Nier and Nier Automata. The uh, issue for Nier is 111 and the, the issue for Nier Automata is a uh, is issue 356. Let's transition into uh, a another track from Drakengard 1. Many of these songs, they kind of come in two sections. They have a sky version and a ground version for each of the chapters. And they... They have some similar feelings to them, I think. Um, and what I would say is my predominant uh, feeling about the Drakengard 1 soundtrack is that it's a little bit atonal in places and it kind of it feels like something is always a little bit off and it's it, it can be very bombastic in places like we'll like we'll hear in this uh, track which is called third chapter uh, on the ground and it never really lets you get comfortable is what i will say it got criticism apparently or so says mm -hmm. um various places but i quite like it um it's got something of uh the silent hill 
uh, Akira Yamaoka's yeah. vibe to it in that it uses, uh, well, in this case, uh, Nobuyoshi Sano and uh, Takayuki Aihara, they're using bits of classical music chopped up. Um, and instead of using uh, uh, nice lyrical phrases that are repeated that you might hear in trip hop or, you know, other, you know, electronic forms of music, they're using really jagged short uh, repeating loops uh, mm-hmm. and just like with the kind of the metal clangs and noises that get used in silent hill it creates this horrible kind of maddening uh, unsettling atmosphere and that's that's definitely what they were going for it's meant to be like that and um, yeah definitely uh, it, you know you could say it's it's experimental it's expressionistic it, it also reminds me of um, Igor Stravinsky, the classical composer, and especially yeah. the Rite of Spring, which a lot of people might recognise from the first uh, Fantasia movie. It's the one with the dinosaurs that nobody likes very much because it's so <laughs> kind of challenging and dark. Um, and then they've put stuff on top of it. In the case of this track, they've got a choir, um, a, a sort of vocal elements that make it very, uh, dare I say, Demon Souls, Dark Souls. As well, Wagnerian, Sturm and Drang, big kind of Lord of the Rings kind of, here is a huge battle or here's a huge boss and we're going to use men gruffly singing. You know, Skyrim used that trick as well, that palette. Um, so so both. So it's got a really interesting blend. Some may, might say clash uh, of palettes with sort of forced electronic minimalism from these sharp loops and then more traditional kind of classical bombastic uh, choir. So let's go ahead and listen to third chapter on the ground by Takayuki Aihara from Dragon Guard 1. actually have uh, normally on sound of play specials we uh, don't generally include much forum correspondence uh, but we actually had uh, in our kind of song backlog which you can contribute to by uh, tweeting at us at canem rinse or going to the forum canem slash forum or on our facebook page uh, just search for canem rinse uh, we are always looking for new uh, new submissions to uh, include on sound of play issues and we did have a few submissions uh, kind of in waiting that were from both drakengard and near so we uh, wanted to include those in 
in this special. And this one is from Xanadu on the forum, uh, who says, This next Drakengard track is actually the most heroic you will feel in the entire game. Its use in the game is for a seemingly final push against the Empire as the main character tries to rescue his sister from their clutches. The song does what the rest of the track rarely does. Makes you feel like all your murderous actions are going to do some good for the world. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, <laughs> what you'll hear in this song is that um, what we were speaking about before, kind of that pulsing, just repetitive uh, movement, but it it sounds more heroic because it's in a major key, basically, <laughs> is what I got out of that. It's, it's, a, it's, a it's very loop, similar. Yeah. And it's got a bit of melody in it. This has a second request that is from the chapter after the one that we just listened to. Uh, and they say, what does the end of the world sound like? This Drakengard track answers the disturbing question excellently with its use of artificial skipping in the track to show how the world is starting to break after some major events in the story. So yeah, this uh, this next track, which is uh, from seventh chapter, it's seventh chapter in the sky, is um, I think that really uh, Xanadu here has has said what i would say it's it, it sounds like it's breaking down it sounds like something is going wrong uh because if you had just put in a cd or put on a record or anything like that and you would hear this kind of skipping uh you would think that something was broken and in this case it sounds like the uh the storyline supports that something is kind of broken and it's the world so uh, i i this one i i think also goes along with the akiriyamaoka thing um of you know, kind of using the the quality of the music as well as uh, the music itself to show how things are not as they should be, mm. making you feel uncomfortable. And not to spoil too much Doki Doki Literature Club, that's <laughs> the most recent game I can think mm -hmm. of where this technique is used, um, where the music itself, because in Silent Hill, the music is still 
supporting the aesthetic and the the kind of the fallacy of the fiction whereas this is like clawing at reality and clawing mm. at your brain in a way that 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 um even yamaoka doesn't get to not that i've played all the silent hill games so i couldn't say that for absolute certain, i have but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it yes it i i agree it um it, it sounds like it's trying to get back to something that's recognizable but it just can't quite hold on there yeah 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 i mean it's horrible it's kind of deliberately horrible you wouldn't it's not a a, a pleasant soundtrack listen um drake and guard one but and i don't know if i could uh, uh, deal with the whole game of it but i do love it. i do love it for its experimentalism and uh, the fact that it just stands out from later stuff in the series um that isn't particularly uh, uh, uh different from games and hollywood movies and big kind of fantasy stuff into Drakengard 2, which is a really different game than Drakengard 1 with regards to the soundtrack. I can't, uh, again, unfortunately, speak too much to how the story itself follows along. But uh, what I do know is that this sequel was kind of later said, I'm not sure how much of a retcon this was, but uh, it, it was 
later on stated that this is definitely connected to the first Drakengard, but it's in an alternate dimension or uh, an alternate timeline. Um, so Drakengard games, as well as near games, tend to have multiple endings. Uh, and this is uh, Drakengard 2 was uh, supposedly an alternate of one of the endings of uh, Drakengard 1. So it's uh, the, the line that connects all of these is far from being actually straight um, which I think again that's one of the things that attracts me to it I like that there are these kind of branching paths that you can go down Um, but Drakengard 2 was notably the only game in the series that uh, Yoko Taro did not direct Uh, so that I think would probably account for at least some of why it feels different uh, even in just in the soundtrack Um, I as a whole it is uh, it definitely retains some of the the kind of feeling that you get from some of the other games in the series, but I found it to be more melodic. Like it's it's an easier listen, uh, if that uh, if that makes sense. So the first track that we're going to listen to from Drakengard Two, uh, I, I think, is going to illustrate what I'm talking about here pretty well. Um, so this track is called Symphonic Poem Forbidden Prelude. Right away, you'll see that it's. This seems like more of a traditional JRPG track. It's very good, but it doesn't have those kind of repeating loops and just pulsing uh, sounds that will make you a little bit uncomfortable and feel slightly off. This this feels like more what you would expect from kind of this big epic game with dragons and swords. Yeah, absolutely. It does have a tiny bit of that repetitive mm-hmm. stuff where it kind of quotes it just so that we're, we're not a million miles away from the first game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's big. It's... And it's, I wouldn't say JRPG so much as like the dark fantasy side of JRPGs. It's, it's in a way, it sounds more Japanese, orchestrally mm. speaking. And uh, yeah, definitely. Again, if you if you like Demon Souls, Dark Souls, etc., um, we're very much in that territory, albeit um, four or five, three, four years earlier than that. Um and it leads with the choir um, and it's a very uh, dramatic and dark kind of tone overall. And it's and it's excellent. And it's there's some wonderful um, proper kind of orchestral arrangement here. It's dense and it's complicated and it's emotional. And I think as well, we start to get with it being more kind of tonal and melodic even though it's dark i think we get start to get more of that kind of sense of sadness coming through even though this isn't a yoko taro game but uh Mm -hmm. you know you get that sort of uh overall sense of melancholy even though it's exciting and it's it's a, a the sound of battle when Yoko Taro did not direct this uh, this entry, I don't think that it was a, a matter of the the existing team going, oh well, you know, we we don't want to do anything that he that he started. You know, I, I think that they did pick up a, quite a bit of what uh, what was strung through the first game and just kind of do their own take on it. It maybe wasn't quite as weird is what is, is the <laughs> word. It's like, that sounds a little too simplistic, but no, that's it. It, it, it maybe isn't quite as weird in some places as, uh, as the first game was, but it, it has, you can still see where it came from, I think yeah. is, is the key there. I mean, and interestingly, this and a couple of other pieces are very virtuosic mm-hmm. um, for uh, for video game music, more so in some ways than the Shadow of the Colossus uh, soundtrack, which is around-ish the same time. It's that same Japanese orchestral sound. 
there's a later track uh, uh, in the soundtrack, which I don't think we're going to have on here, that's got a, this hugely virtuosic piano like Chopin or, or Rachmaninoff. So um, the composers and arrangers here uh, are sort of throwing everything in and the kitchen sink musically. This is not minimalist. Let's put it like that. No, not at all. Uh, so let's go ahead and listen to this. It's Symphonic Poem, Forbidden Prelude. Uh, and the credited composers are Ryoki Matsumoto and Yoshiki Aoi.
right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Dragon Guard 2. I almost said Dragon Guard. That's not a thing. Dragon Guard 2, which I, I actually really like the Japanese title, which uh, the, the series itself is Dragon Dragoon. Uh, which I can take or leave, but uh, <laughs> this one has a subtitle, which is Love Red Ambivalence Black, which completely got left off in the Western releases. And I, I, I guess I understand why, because it's not really something that I, you would think of in a, a Western release, but I think it's great. Um, I, it just, it kind of illustrates that this is not just a game about dragons and, and flying and, and, battling you know it's it's got a lot of uh emotional uh things in there as well um also it's not hatred black it's ambivalence because the opposite of love is not hate <laughs> dragon guard 2 was released on the playstation 2 uh in japan in 2005 and in the rest of the world in 2006 uh so not too long after the first game uh but it does feel pretty different in a lot of uh in a lot of ways or at least the music does uh that's the part that we are most concerned with here um we uh i mentioned before that ryoki matsumoto and uh yoshiki aioi uh were the credited composers also um nobuyushi Sano, uh, who was on the first game, and Satomi, who I'm not, uh, I'm not very familiar with. Are you at all, Tom? Not really, no. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, a little bit of a uh, little bit of added input there uh, from uh, this soundtrack. Uh, so this is a, a it's a continuation of the first game, um, but it um, it seems like they were aiming for a more kind of mainstream audience with this one. Um, I, I believe that the first game sold pretty well, but also it was definitely not mainstream uh neither in the music nor in the actual kind of uh convoluted storyline itself so this one uh feels a little bit more mainstream from what i have seen uh and i, th- I think the music supports that as well yeah i mean it's a big kind of romantic ballad that uh, you're pretty familiar with if you're into anime and video games and, and all sorts of things coming out of Japan. So for the Western release, uh, the theme song, uh, as it were, is uh, is called Growing Wings, and that is what we are going to listen to next. Um, I find this to be a pretty a pretty standard JRPG track. It's beautiful. Like the 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 vocals in it, I think are are very lovely, um, but it doesn't stand out quite as much as something from the first game would do, do would you agree with that yeah i mean it's it's i, w- I don't not want to say it, yeah it's, it's it's good but but it's not as distinct definitely not as distinct as the theme song from drake and guard but it's interesting researching for this um i sort of had in my head that keichi akabe who we'll talk a lot more about later mm-hmm. brought this sultry kind of female vocal to the series, to Yoko Taro's games. But um, it's present and correct here. And and in the first Dragon Guard, before we even before he comes on the scene and before we get that incredible near soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, it's just that this and other parts of the soundtrack uh, of Dragon Guard 2 are, are less distinct and more kind of video, you know, just a a video game or film production really mm-hmm. but but very well done at the same time yeah agreed and this is another one of the songs that you'll hear very definite echoes of in uh, in later 
entries in the series and in later uh, tracks in this show, probably as well. Uh, so let's go ahead and listen. This is Growing Wings, again by Ryoki Matsumoto and Yoshiki Aoi from Dragon Guard 2. Like a dream, it shines from heaven's safe key. Children's songs we sing as soft as the breeze in the sphere. Thank you. 
All right, so uh, we're going to listen to one more track from Drakengard 2 before we move on. And uh, this one's, <laughs> it's odd. I, I will I will say that much for it. I, I chose this track and I chose it uh, largely because I felt that it was one of the most anime tracks in the soundtrack for Drakengard 2. Uh, it is called The End of the Conclusion. And uh, partially, I also just like the title, but uh, The End of the Conclusion, it feels very J-poppy to me. It feels, uh, it, it doesn't feel as orchestral as the rest of the soundtrack and as such I think that it's kind of interesting to compare to the uh, like what we heard from the first track from the game and just see the wide spread that you get in between uh, and this game's kind of all over the place with its soundtrack <laughs> it has it has some beautiful sounds and then it has this which while it's interesting I don't know that I would necessarily call it beautiful no no it, it actually <laughs> reminds me of um, not necessarily 70s prog rock but later David Bowie stuff, uh, I think it's Black Tie, White Wedding, I, I'm thinking of. There's a track and also um, some Trevor Horn stuff Ooh. with certain films uh, where it's this pop beat ostensibly. But there's just so much going on on top. It's this sort of sonic mad montage uh, that is confusing to listen to. I don't <laughs> yes. know where, you know, what happens in the game to this track, uh, uh, unfortunately, but um, it's it paints a picture and that picture is using more than 18 different colours uh, uh, all layered on top of each other. It is definitely a lot. Um, so I, I, I'll be interested if you love this track, then uh, let us know why, because we're I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily say that I love it, but <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. And so uh, shout out to uh, Crazy Synth Brass. Um. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a little bit of Crazy Synth Brass in there. <laughs> All right. So this is the end of the conclusion by Ryoki Matsumoto and Yoshiki Aoi.
So the next game released after uh, Drakengard 2 was not actually Drakengard 3. It was the original Nier, uh, which was released in 2010 for the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. There were two versions of this game, and only one of them made it to the West. There was uh, Nier Replicant and Nier Gestalt is the first game in the series that is not explicitly a Drakengard game, but does follow on from one of the endings of the first Drakengard game. I believe it's ending E, um, but is many, many, many years later. So um, the planet has been kind of decimated by this illness, and uh, the character that you play as, whose name is, in fact, Nier, depending on which version you're playing, the Western version, his daughter uh, is infected by this horrible illness, and he is off to find a way to save her, and, you know, hijinks ensue, et cetera, et cetera. And now um, the music, I think kind of takes another turn. And this is where it turns into what I would say is mostly the music that I would recognize as being the near music, which makes sense because it's a near game. But um, yeah, this this is where it starts to be what I think of when I think of this series. We've already heard that those female vocals and that kind of crazy, mad, disorienting sound uh, pre-existed uh, near, but it does feel like it really coalesces. And it's also one of those games where the soundtrack is so timeless and the melodies are so strong that they bear, even within the game, you know, 15, 80 bajillion different versions of just the same piece over and over again, but mm-hmm. you know, on a guitar, on a piano, and it's always beautiful. And, and that just goes to show that, um, you know, like Noboru Amatsu. Uh, and others I'm struggling to think of because he's the clear standout, where you can just recycle these melodies, recover these melodies. The original artists can do it and other people can do it, and they really, really stand the test of time, and they elevate the game um, without a doubt. The lead composer here is a chap called Keiichi Okabe, and he actually went to school at one point with Yoko Taro, but they didn't really know each other very well. But then later on, I think they were both working for Namco or or came into each other's orbit again, and Yoko Taro uh, wanted him because he felt like he could be more honest with him than other people because he already had a pre-existing relationship. And that's basically because Yoko Taro wanted to tell him something was crap (laughs) and that he needed to do it again (laughs) or change it significantly. But of course... You know, we kind of expect that of auteurs and we celebrate that when the the results of those kind of um, collaborations work out for the best. So Akabe actually has um, a kind of composition studio, a team of people that sort of varied from from five to 15 at different points, as far as I can tell, called Monica. Uh, and he is uh, the the CEO at the moment. I, I don't know if he always was, but he's the lead composer on Near. But um, that's not to say that he's the only composer. And there's definitely sort of significant contributions from the other composers, uh, who I assume work in a variety of more junior ways, um, either contributing contributing bits of tracks or arrangements or mixes here and there. Um, so it's interesting that it's, it's sort of not the work of one person one composer doing their thing like an Austin winter it's, it's definitely this collaboration uh, all together uh, so the first track that we're going to listen to is uh, is is one of Keiji Okabe's uh, tracks and um, that obviously I'm sure was probably collaborated upon with uh, the rest of his his team here um, but it's 
this one sticks out to me because it is yet another of those tracks that you hear coming back repeatedly, especially in in Automata, which, of course, we will talk about uh, shortly. But uh, this track is a combination of kind of the metallic and, and just industrial type there are robots and they are in the world and you know they're 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 a huge part of what this game is going to be about but also it's the the very soft and and uh delicate almost female voice that runs through so many of these tracks um so i i i this this sticks out to me as kind of one of the the main tracks that uh that near it, it sounds like near to me <laughs> So let's go ahead and listen to that. That is, this is The Wretched Automatons by Keiichi Okabe from Nier in 2010. Thank you. 
is such a fantastic track and it actually encompasses a lot of um, Akabe's very celebrated sound for certainly near and near automata and and that becomes the yoko taro sound in a way which is that um when he's doing energetic tracks for traveling or um battle music he again interestingly goes back to this dragon idea of uh, repetitive thing but obviously all music has repetition to some extent, but he uses these percussion loops this time. Uh, and mm-hmm. he uses that uh, frequently, uh, especially through Near Automata, but um, he'll come up with an interest. It's an electronica sound. It's you come up with interesting, crunchy sounding percussion layer on top of each other. And then you come up with a nice melody and that melody could be played in a, you know, soft, beautiful way on a piano. But here you lay it over uh, this crunchy percussion that's in and of itself kind of um, very inventive and iconic in a way. And then just to add to that, to make it even more brilliant, you bring in this this vocal of Emmy Evans. Um, I think she, I think for this game, they generally multi-tracked her voice, which is basically where you record uh, two or more times. So it's not just a single solo voice that's then mixed. I'm guessing here, but certainly sounds like this to me, where you record her singing the exact same thing, but um, it sounds like there's sort of more of her and that's what gives it this ghostly ethereal um, sound. And of course, the melody is fantastic and she's singing these made up, these made up lyrics. Um, and she's a English singer, uh, but she lives uh, or was living in Tokyo when she came up with this project and she'd done um other stuff uh, for other video games including uh etrian odyssey arrange albums but she was for near asked to write her own lyrics for songs which seems kind of extraordinary to me to kind of have this game with this auteur creator and then have a ostensibly a session musician actually make a major creative collaboration to the project um yeah I mean, it really is extraordinary. So they gave her versions of the song and then asked her to kind of make up uh, a language for it. And she takes bits of um, herself being able to speak um, Scottish Gaelic and French and various things. And so she sort of makes this melting pot language um, to, to communicate the emotion. Because, of course, by the by this point with Nia, we're very much talking about very emotional music it's trying to make you feel a certain way and it's it's interesting because there's a philosophy in games music i've certainly heard criticism later on from someone like jessica curry who says that sometimes games batter you over the head with the music trying to make you feel a specific emotion but i think if you've loved jrpgs and you've loved final fantasy and you've loved dragon quest you're you're very happy to kind of have a very melodic, very emotional piece underscoring pretty much every moment of the game. You're used to it, you welcome it. And so, um, but we're we're using much more, to my mind, sophisticated palettes here in terms of music production than um, back in the chiptune days, which of course had their own uh, wonderfulness about them. 
Okay, so our next track is going to be uh, another request from the forum. This is from Simon Sloth, who requests the track The Lost Forest. And uh, Simon Sloth says, I've just started playing Nier, and I'm incredibly impressed by the soundtrack. The ambient background themes are excellent, and I love the additional layers which are added or removed contextually. I think you've already had three Nier songs on the show, but not this one, if my search proves accurate. This track really makes me feel like I'm on a grand adventure and has a nautical matinee movie vibe about it. There's also a few bars that bring Akira Yamaoka's Silent Hill main theme to mind, or maybe that's just me. Well, I don't think it's just you because we've already talked about Akira Yamaoka. Um, but yes, definitely. Um, and and uh, Simon Sloss talk, talks about the uh, the additional layers, which uh, starts to become uh, a thing here in Nier and uh, really kind of knocks it out of the park with that uh, in Nier Automata. But yes, there are um, there are multiple um versions of some tracks and and i've mentioned this before but some of them are literally the same track but kind of heavier with more instruments or more vocals and then they can work down to being quieter tracks with quieter vocals or no vocals at all and just instrumentation um and the way that those are used in these games to kind of reflect quieter moments versus more bombastic moments in the story itself is is just masterful i think yeah and it's it's very common in video games certainly when we entered the era of stereo sound um with video games and especially past kind of playstation generation you start being able to do more sophisticated things when we move to digital music files within the game what you can have is especially and they'll, you know, the composer will choose to do this deliberately. They'll have a consistent tempo for a particular mm-hmm. scene. And um, in Okabe's case here, you know, you've got the main melody and different layers of percussion, different layers of harmony, different instruments that you can drop in and out. And actually, there are much more uh, sophisticated. There's there's really complicated ways of putting music into a video game, uh, of implementing it, of having specific instruments tied to specific events in the in the game. But actually, you can achieve something really effectively by just having a few layers that stack. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you sort of use the word intensity. The most simple way of saying it is when a battle starts. You know, you might add a layer of intense intensity, add a layer of percussion. You might even take it up a notch if it's a boss battle or if it's a, if the battle gets a bit hairy and you're losing or something. There's various ways to skin a cat. But what we've got here are incredibly strong melodies. So they, you you love listening to them. Players love getting them stuck in their heads. You've got some excellent percussion work, and because there's a steady tempo, steady key throughout these pieces, it means that you can bring those layers in and out. Um, and change the emotion of an already very emotional piece. Um, And it's just a stronger flavour than kind of very ambient background music or or music that is designed to kind of disappear uh, um, and not, you know, uh, impede, I don't know, um, dialogue or, or... barks or you know sound effects within the game i think that's yeah. that's an interesting thing about yoko taro is he seems to invite music being really in your face in a way that anyone who's a, a final fantasy jrpg lover back before there were spoken um voices in games uh, will be very familiar with so this is the lost forest by keiji okabe from Nier.
so our next track is uh, called Dispossession, and it is one that has multiple versions, as many of them do. Uh, the version that uh, that we've selected here is the Pluck version. And uh, Tom, I'm going to throw to you on this one, because um, this was one that you specifically had said was your favorite version of, uh, of this particular track. So uh, what is it that you like so much about it? It's pretty simple, really. And it's a much less, because it's just one instrument. Um, it might be two. I'm not quite sure, actually. It's just a solo guitar possibly two guitars and it's just again we say about the strength of Akabe's melodies and his co-composers it's just really just holding that melody up and saying this is all you need um to feel the emotion of what we're going for here this sadness this forlornness this desperate kind of longing and earnestness um and it's, it's very it's empty, a, but not yeah, in a, a bad way. I mean, it's supposed to be empty. It's yeah, not. It's, a, it's not that someone messed up. It is. It is very intentionally evoking that. Well, it's not. It's not minimalist, but the melody is deliberately simple, uh, mm-hmm. and that's something. It's very interesting. Uh, there's a YouTuber, um, GameScore Fanfare, who's looking at the music of Octopath Traveler, which is sort of um, very harkens back to traditional JRPG, JRPG music, but with modern beautifully recorded uh, music production um, but how they make it sound old with that they deliberately broke down how simple and also we say quantized or, or, or um, simple in terms of there's not much syncopation it's very on the beat and slow-ish and so that you could actually play the dispossession melody with one finger and it you know and if even if you were a pretty rubbish pianist you could learn it quite easily but it's just such a strong melody um and this is you know high praise for this it's made it onto the sleepy music um playlist that i i uh, have for my kids when they're trying to get them off to sleep um and uh, you know it's got to be a really if it's that simple it's got to be an amazingly strong piece of music to kind of you want to play it to your to your little ones, and uh, yeah, I, I actually cherish this. I've never played near, but I've um, listened to the soundtrack over and over again, and it kind of baffled me how good it was, um, considering that my impressions uh, back when I didn't know that near was this kind of cult kind of game, this beloved thing for its multiple endings and the, the the various themes it plays with. I was kind of thinking, how does this game get such an amazing, how does this kind of like slightly <laughs> janky looking third person action game get such an incredible soundtrack? And what I didn't know, of course, was that that emotion, that, that depth of emotion definitely does come from Yoko Taro as well. You know, it originates from him, sure. even though Akabe is the is the um is executing on the music brief Ooh, well there you go guaranteed to soothe your children this is a dispossession <laughs> the pluck version uh, asterisk may not actually soothe your children uh, but this is dispossession the pluck version by keiichi okabe <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. 
We have another uh, request from the forum. This is also from Simon Sloth, who says, uh, Another piece from the Nier soundtrack. It's a shame I can't describe the moment this song plays without massively spoiling the game. If I did, a newcomer to the game might scoff at the fact that I shed a tear in that moment, because on paper, it's ridiculously absurd, like everything else in this game. Well, the title of the track gives it away a little bit. It's called Emile's Sacrifice. Um, So you get a little bit of the idea of what's going on here. It's a beautiful track, I think, that fits well with the uh, kind of somber but very important moment that uh, that this is kind of underscoring. And uh, I, yeah, I, I I think that it's a great example of the the soundtrack really just bolstering what uh, what people might be feeling, especially if you spent dozens of hours with these characters uh and then you know something of import happens and uh and you get a song like this there's something i always felt about final fantasy 13 which irritated the heck out of me as a massive long lifelong <laughs> final fantasy fan is that i felt like uh, every five seconds we sort of because there weren't any towns in that game, it's, everyone seemed to be stopping and emoting every so often. You'd have a cutscene, <laughs> people staring off into the distance, and it seemed all so relatively empty in that game. It didn't resonate with me. But that is what Yoko Taro's trademark is, isn't it? I mean, apart from the sheer convolutedness of the overall thing, it's these character moments. Now, they're incredibly kind of contrived. It's normally, I don't know, two people on a completely empty battlefield and they're facing away from each other and it's very anime. And I get that there's a kind of a history of of that kind of encounter in stories like this, but there's something about the way he tells stories and the way his characters shake out and the way the ins and outs and the twists and the betrayals and the backstabbing literally and figuratively that yeah. I mean, that's kind of why people come to his games and and it's because that's quite a simple thing to write music around you know characters emoting you know in a simple in a fairly simple way even if the story is complicated it's a nice size canvas for a musician to paint something beautiful on yeah i i agree with that and i you you mentioned you know that that it's something of Yoko Taro's that he that he does very well with these characters that you become attached to. And I, I think that that is that that nails it really for me, because it if you have a story that is as wacky and bizarre and convoluted as his stories in this series are, then I mean, there are people who, and I count myself among them, there are people who really enjoy that kind of story, but in order to really be attached to it, 
it's important that the characters be characters that you can attach to. When I saw Emil pop up in in uh, Near Automata, I was really excited <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, yeah, he's I think he's a really interesting character. And um, yeah, some stuff happens with him in yeah, watch some lore videos. Really, <laughs> I just it's wild. Um, but but yes, this uh, this track, I, I it's. It works for me as kind of this somber, sad track because I was attached to the character at that point. And uh, this this is a great track. I, I completely agree.
Fafnir. We go back to the Drakengard series in uh, 2013 for Japan, 2014 for the West with Drakengard 3. Uh, now, this is actually, uh, and I'll, I'll simplify by saying that this is a prequel to, um, I believe, all of the other games. I think that this comes before Drakengard 1. It does, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you uh, they're, they're doing the thing where uh, a, a much later title in the series kind of predates everything else. Uh, but it's it's a little bit different from what I understand. This is the only one of the Drakengard games that I currently have played. Uh, it is a um, it is, again, a kind of a hack and slash type game, but with a very complex, convoluted story and um, a bunch of scantily clad lady protagonists, which is another thing that we will see coming back in the subsequent game in the series. But but actually, the uh, the costume, the, the clothing that the protagonist of Drakengard 3 wears uh, looks a lot like Kaine's um kind of outfit her standard outfit through a lot of the game it makes some sense because uh the main character in Drakengard 3 that is um her background is as kind of an abandoned child who was uh, abducted or taken in to become a, a prostitute she then escapes there's a whole mess of she clones herself and then tries to kill herself but when she tries to kill herself she actually ends up spawning clones who then she tries it's was it's, there something it's about a, a flower eats her or yeah I don't there's know. a flower when she's dying there's this flower that brings her back to life and gives her superpowers and it's listen there's a lot <laughs> going on in dragon card three um yeah i i need to go back and play dragon card three again uh just to I, I think that that's what I'd really like to do is just play all of these games in order now that I kind of have a larger perspective on the series as a whole just to see what it does to me Mm. Um, but, uh, yes. So this is a game set in the same universe, uh, but earlier, uh, it is uh, about a hundred years before the first Drakengard game. It's, it's an exceptionally violent game, um, as most of them are actually. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it feels different. And I, I think that the tracks that we've, uh, that we've chosen for you to listen to will, uh, kind of show that, the the feeling of the game is pretty different from uh the the games that came before it and from uh what comes after it it's, so, yeah i mean the the this track anti-purity that's coming up um mm -hmm. is by keigo who uh Hoashi, Keigo Hoashi, who, as far as i can tell or i can glean is sort of the second in command at Monica at the composition studio. Mm -hmm. um, and in an interview, I saw that Akabe said that going from there back to Drakengard series, but um, they, that composer team was still on board this time. Um, they wanted to uh, at least, you know, not go with the near sound completely, uh, mm -hmm. but that he would rely on Hoashi and uh, another of the composers, I can't remember which one, for the orchestral stuff, to kind of come back to orchestral stuff. And it's actually, you know, it's Akabe is a different kind of composer. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. why he has this quite special sound that now people tie very tightly to Yoko Taro. But uh, Keigo Hoashi is sounds like it's he's very versatile and he can do he does this track does harken back to the kind of madness inducing anxiety inducing kind of crazy maximalist orchestral sound with there's yeah. lots of runs and atonality and um 
but also still that that lone female voice as well coming in so um yeah it's a really good track actually it's kind of representative of where dragon guard 3 is is going back to the old series but sticking with a little bit of the the moniker flavor right so let's listen to anti-purity by keigo huashi from dragon guard 3 
leaning a little bit further away even from uh, some of the tracks that we've listened to before. Um, this is one of the boss themes from uh, from Drakengard Three, and uh, it caught my eye because in our initial track in our initial track listing and notes uh, as we were getting the show together, uh, Tom here had written it's a dubstep uh, on this one, so I, uh, I I had to take a look, and um, so this is it, it, it's. It is more uh, kind of hard than a lot of the tracks that you would hear before. Um, it 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 is more of a traditional, I think, uh, kind of hard metal rock. I, I I don't know exactly what I don't know exactly so what this would fall it's into. It's sort of industrial metal, but it's industrial is faster, yeah. I think that's what I was looking uh, for. So it's got an electronica edge to it and uh, mm-hmm. and dubstep in there as well. So it's kind of mixing lots of different genres but it's still got that female mm-hmm. vocal interestingly yeah. but 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 notably not a kind of a strong melody that's going to stick in your head necessarily that the vocal is part of the palette in this case yeah. um and it's it's more video gamey in the sense that it's that kind of exciting driving boss music um yeah but it's still they still manage even though it's sort of more traditionally video gamey they still manage to have this sense of anxiety and sadness that pervades the whole series that sets it apart. So even though it's very, very different genre-wise to what we've heard so far and what comes later as well, and you wouldn't miss, you wouldn't listen to that and associate it with Yokotara particularly, I guess, but um, it's still got elements in there that I think tie it into the whole series. All right, so let's go ahead and listen to Fanwell, which is one of the, uh, it's actually one of the sisters or the other intoners um, as a boss fight. Uh, so Fanwell by Kakero Ishihama from Drakengard 3.
up to the end of the current end of the uh, of the Drakengard and Nier series with Nier Automata uh, just two years ago in 2017. And again, we did very recently do a, uh, a and Rinse issue uh, on Nier Automata that is 356 that I highly recommend you listen to uh, if you haven't already. Uh, but Nier Automata, one of the things I think that drew a lot of people to it, uh, both of us included, is that the soundtrack is just stellar. Uh, it's it's won multiple awards, so it's not just us. Uh, but yes, it it is... It has a lot going for it, including uh, the kind of logical conclusion of a lot or not not even conclusion, the logical evolution of a lot of what we were talking about before with uh, tracks that have multiple versions of them, depending on where you are in the story, as well as uh, kind of what you're doing and uh, and the feeling that you should that you should air quotes be having, uh, according to the game developers and the directors. One of the early tracks in the game, City Ruins, and actually a couple of the the track that plays in the the menu when you first load up. They're quite backgroundy, quite ambient. City Ruins itself is quite. It's a song with a singer but it's very background at the same time it's kind of restrained we were talking about earlier it is something that even though you will hear it a lot i never really got tired of it 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 always seemed appropriate for what i was doing at the time even though i probably have listened to this track for hours and hours you know it's it it still feels good and and well placed yeah and it's got that classic earworm quality of the melody being so dead simple that it's it's you play it on a piano with one finger and it's just it's beautiful just like that and then of course you can uh wrap it in all sorts of different textures you can have um emmy evans sing it and bring it to life with her particular very special um vocal style uh or in guitar or whatever you want and it it just works you do hear it a lot I think I did start to tire of it a little bit because you do run mm. across though that that kind of city area a lot, um, especially if That's you're true. doing extra side stuff. But like I say, it's it's backgroundy enough that it doesn't. It doesn't great. Yeah, it does definitely doesn't great. It's always a pleasurable kind of soft molding of your brain, sort of massaging your, your massaging your ears. <laughs> All right, so let's listen to "City Ruins" by Keiji Okabe from *Near Automata*. Just imagine, you know, hearing this for a dozen hours or so and uh, see what you think.
that you will notice uh, in, as you are playing through uh, near Automata is that you hear uh, 8-bit versions, uh, and I don't think that those actually happen until your second, until your B playthrough. It's sort of common that you will often hear 8-bit uh, versions or... Um, of, of some of your tracks when you are doing specific things. And um, we wanted to include at least one of those. Uh, many of the tracks have kind of an 8-bit version that you will encounter or can encounter. Um, but one of the tracks that I like a lot is uh, from a very memorable spot in the game, uh, and that is the amusement park. So uh, the next set of tracks that uh, we're going to listen to are uh, the track called Amusement Park and also the 8-bit version of that track uh, from uh, Keigo Hoashi. Uh, and this, I mean, it's it's a pretty significant amount of time that you spend in the amusement park area yeah. and a lot of impactful moments happen there. Mm -hmm. And partially, partially that's due to the music. I, I, I really think that... Uh, it, it it lends a lot to the experience to know that there's kind of a whole society of robots that are trying to make this place something that entertains them and uh, and gives them the same kind of joy that it would give to humans. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you.
this track is, um, I wouldn't say a stereotypical what you think of when you think of this soundtrack, but it almost is that. Um, this is, uh, so the, the name of the track is Birth of a Wish, uh, with the subtitle of This Cannot Continue. And when I say that, if you've played the game, then you will automatically know exactly what it is that I am talking about. Um, so as we have uh, alluded to, there are are a lot of sad robots in there and uh, and this is kind of the ultimate sad robot well actually it's not even a sad robot track it's more an angry robot track in this case um so uh, i i feel like when i have played this game and i've played it a couple of times uh i i feel like this is the one that really kind of sticks with me this is this is where you kind of figure out that maybe you're not the good guy at all or maybe you're not working with the good guys and um yeah it's it's a very strong track and one that as i say it it, it stuck with me and continues to do so and it's got those strong pulsing percussion that akabe yes. does when he does these more energetic tracks uh, i think i've seen in history that that that's kind of what he does first for for mm-hmm. these types of tracks he kind of gets a tempo and he gets some percussion in place over which he can have other musical ideas. You still got a, a male choir here, which is fairly standard for kind of creating a boss atmosphere um, and a very aggressive atmosphere. But it's still that Akabe, that simple, um, easily graspable uh, melody. I, I think that in some ways it is even almost a throwback to some of the very early games, because while this does have a stronger kind of melody than a lot of those do, it also is mixing in some of those like really driving beats and and repeating segments. Um, and it's not as, it's not as harsh maybe as something from the original Drakengard, but it, it calls back a little bit to that, I think. Yeah, a little bit. It, it's, it's less that Silent Hill thing, though. Sure. And it's a yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely more tonal than than the earlier versions of, of the same type of thing. Uh, but it's it's a little bit of that, whereas I don't think that that comes back as often as um, as, as some of the more melodic and like the female voice and that that kind of thing. Yeah. So this is Birth of a Wish. This cannot continue by Keiichi Okabe.
talked about the uh, 8-bit tracks, and uh, this is uh, one that I wanted to include because it calls back to not only other tracks in Nier Automata, but also to tracks in other games, more specifically uh, tracks in the original Nier. Uh, And if you listen to it, I I think you'll see what I mean. So this is Wretched Weaponry, and it is the 8-bit version. I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than that I, it continues to impress me, and uh, and I appreciate that they, and by they, I mean Keiji Okabe and his collaborators, uh, continue to bring back things from earlier games and continue to kind of have that that solid connection between everything in the series. They don't just start from scratch every time. They are definitely taking from what has come before. So this is Wretched Weaponry, the 8-bit version by Keiji Okabe. So just one track left, uh, and this is this is a big one. This is this is I, I think that it's appropriate that we are wrapping up with uh, with this track, um, which is going to be the end of Yorha, uh, which is the track that plays over the very end credits. Uh, and I do mean the very end credits. There are many sets of end credits in Nier Automata, but this is uh, the 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 ultimate. 
this piece made me cry and that doesn't happen a whole lot um <laughs> so i yeah it's 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 a pretty big deal it, for me it unlocked um, your cold cold heart i guess it did i don't know um i i won't go completely into the ending of near automata um you can go to the kane and rinse issue if you want to hear all about it but um there is some uh for for some people including me uh there is some kind of emotional impact there that that fits very well with the multiple versions of this track uh including uh, an english version and a japanese version and a uh, I, I believe that the third version is kind of not is is it actually french or is it just kind of a the, the made-up language I, I believe it's that i wouldn't want to say for certain it's the nouveau french i think it might be emmy evans's kind of weird yeah. mashup stuff but i don't okay. know for, i don't know for certain yes well anyway a third language yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that might be partially french we're not sure but um yeah this this is uh, multiple vocalists uh, all of whom have a similar but not completely the same style and in fact they did receive some criticism for that uh, there's a lovely story uh from the english lyricist uh, janique nicole who um was receiving some pretty negative feedback and then emmy evans essentially told her hey don't worry about it you're doing great and keep doing what you're doing and uh, I, I thought that was that was kind of lovely so um and, and it's her version that i come back to yeah. because if you're listening yeah. to this outside of the game and you're an english speaker you kind of want the the english song because mm-hmm. even though she she was outside she came from outside the project i think she was known to mm-hmm. emmy evans so she'd never done a yoko Taro. she'd never heard of square enix before yeah you know, she's total outsider coming in to do a big, um, drippy ballad, essentially. The kind <laughs> yes. of thing that reminds me of like 90s film ballads, you know, Whitney Houston yeah. and Brian Adams or whatever. And she's writing these lyrics. Again, they gave her this sort of fuzzy brief of kind of like vaguely what it should say. But mm-hmm. actually, and the lyrics don't completely match up with the game as far as I can remember, but they're still meaningful and the emotion they convey are the same emotions that the game is conveying in certain ways. It feels a little bit like the song is about to be. And so Mm. it sort of, for me in that way pertains more to the, to the route a section, but I just love it. I could, there there was like a week where I was listening to this every day, probably several times. And it's a, it's a cheesy ballad, you know? Yeah. But there's something about, you know, the the truth is that I'm only one girl, that lyric, it just, I don't know. It just hits home. It absolutely hits the nail on the head. And if by any rights, this should have been a song that kind of went beyond the game, maybe like went Mm -hmm. out into popular culture somehow. This, uh, even though it's this weird Japanese esoteric game, you know, but with this great ballad on it and and people, yeah, criticised, her voice because it's not emmy evans but i think she does an absolutely brilliant job we're gonna leave you with the end of your ha by keiichi okabe english lyrics by janique nicole uh, and the whole team over at uh over at platinum games and square enix with the uh, the distribution there um so please do let us know what you think if you have favorite tracks that you hadn't heard you haven't heard uh yet or if you have other tracks that uh, you just want to register that you want to register on our radar uh you can do that at canemrince.com slash forum or on Twitter at canemrince or on Facebook. Uh, just search for canemrince. Uh, we will continue on every regular show that is not a 10th show to include a selection of those in our playlist uh, for every regular sound of play with Leon and or Ryan. Uh, so, Tom, thank you so much for uh, for being a part of this wonderful uh, selection of music. I, I, I really, I just kind of want to go play near now. <laughs> 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 ah. 